So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello and welcome to History Tea Time. I'm Lindsay Holiday, and I'm spilling the tea on history. Napoleon's Brothers and Sisters Part 2 Baby Bonapartes Napoleon Bonaparte is one of the most famous people in history. He was born into an impoverished minor noble family on the island of Corsica. But his remarkable skills on the battlefield and in politics saw him rise to Emperor of France and conqueror of much of Europe. But he was not the only Bonaparte making waves in the 19th century. In last week's episode, we met older brother Joseph, King of Naples and Spain, brother Lucien, who paved the way for Napoleon's political takeover of France and got him the Louisiana Territory, and sister Elisa, Grand Duchess of Tuscany, who wasn't afraid to stand up to his imperial pain in the ass. In this episode, we'll meet the four younger Bonaparte siblings, Louis, Pauline, Caroline, and Jerome, all of whom grew up rather spoiled and dependent on their powerful older brother. They did as he commanded, resulting in a number of miserable marriages, and even leading one brother to abandon his pregnant wife on his big brother's orders. Let's meet the Emperor's kid siblings. Louis followed in his famous older brother's footsteps by joining the army. He served under Napoleon during his conquests of Egypt and Italy. With his brother's help, Louis rose quickly through the ranks, being made a general by the age of 25. He himself admitted that he had risen too high too fast and that he lacked the experience to command effectively. Napoleon ordered him to marry his wife, Empress Josephine's daughter, Napoleon's own stepdaughter, Hortense du Boronnet. Hortense at first refused, but was persuaded by her mother to agree to the union. The pair never got along, and Hortense took numerous lovers. She had three sons whom Louis claimed, though he had strong doubts about their paternity. Napoleon named the couple King and Queen of Holland. Louis wanted very much to do a good job. He called himself King Lodewijk I, declared himself Dutch rather than French, and tried to learn the language. His Dutch was at first so bad that he called himself 
Konein von Oland, meaning rabbit of Oland, rather than Koning von Holland, king of Holland. However, his sincere effort earned him respect. He also demanded that his counselors and courtiers renounce their French citizenship. His wife was outraged and refused. She remained in France and avoided visiting her husband as much as possible. Louis asked that she send their three sons to him, but she refused. Napoleon sided with Hortense and named their eldest son, Napoleon Charles, as his own heir to the imperial throne of France. Sadly, the prince died of croup at the age of four. Louis was unable to settle on a capital for his new kingdom and moved his court over a dozen times, keeping his ministers in constant upheaval. He tried Amsterdam, The Hague, and Utrecht. He once visited a merchant's house and liked it so much that he evicted the owner and moved in, only to change his mind seven weeks later. Louis is believed to have had some form of mental illness, possibly bipolar disorder. His reign saw two major national tragedies. A cargo ship loaded with gunpowder blew up in the middle of the city of Leiden, and a major flood hit Holland. In both instances, Louis personally oversaw relief efforts, earning him the nickname Louis the Good. Napoleon criticized the moniker, saying kings who were considered good were failures. The emperor demanded that his brother supply Dutch troops for his invasion of Russia, and Louis refused. As punishment, Napoleon ordered nearly all of the existing troops out of Holland, and when the English easily invaded the country, he blamed Louis for failing to protect the kingdom he had given him and demanded that he abdicate. He left the throne to his six-year-old son, Louis, and moved to Austria. He assumed the title of Count of saint Lou and wrote poetry. In 1840, 30 years after his abdication, King Willem II of the Netherlands allowed Louis to return for a visit. A crowd gathered under his hotel room window to cheer their former king, deeply moving him. Upon the death of his brother Joseph, the Bonapartist claim to the throne passed to Louis. He died two years later in Liverno, Italy, at the age of 67. His claim to the throne passed to his only surviving son, Napoleon. In 1848, he was elected France's first president. When the Constitution prevented him from being re-elected, he claimed power by force and named himself Emperor Napoleon III. He was a chip off his uncle's old block. Though, if Louis' paternity doubts are to be believed, the man who restored the Bonaparte family to the throne of France may not have been a Bonaparte by blood at all. Napoleon III was dethroned in 1870, and the French monarchy was abolished once and for all. Pauline was born in 1780, as her father's fecklessness plunged the family into poverty when she was only five, she received no formal education. Her older brother's politics turned fellow Corsicans against the Bonapartes. 
their home was burned down and they were forced to flee to France. There, mother and daughters washed clothes to earn money to survive. But as her brother rose quickly up the ranks of the military, their situation improved dramatically. When Pauline was 16, Napoleon introduced her to the proconsul of Marseille, Louis Stanislas, and the pair fell in love. But her mother thought that she could do better, so Napoleon instead wed her to General Charles Leclerc. He then named his brother-in-law commander-in-chief of the French army in Italy. Pauline remained in Paris with their son, Dermide, and joined a fashionable salon. In 1801, Napoleon appointed Charles governor of the French colony of Saint-Domingue, modern-day Haiti. But the colony had been in rebellion for over a decade, and his first order was to recapture it. While Pauline and Dermide waited aboard a ship, Charles and his army attacked the city of Le Cap and burned it to the ground. Once French control had been re-established, the army was hit hard with yellow fever, killing 25,000 soldiers. Pauline had always suffered from poor health, likely salpingitis, a chronic pelvic inflammatory disease. The heat and humidity of the Caribbean caused her further complications. She was unable to walk and spend most of her time reclining. Both she and Dermide suffered spells of yellow fever. Charles begged her to return to France, but she refused. There, she would always have to play second fiddle to Napoleon's fashionable wife, Empress Josephine, of whom the entire Bonaparte family was extremely jealous. But in Saint-Domingue, she was the top lady. Despite her ill health, she enjoyed a good party and took numerous lovers, mostly soldiers under her husband's command. She also collected a botanical garden and menagerie filled with native flora and fauna. Napoleon ordered Charles to abolish slavery, as had been done in France. But word reached Saint-Domingue that slavery had been reintroduced in another French colony, Guadeloupe, and the people rose in insurrection. Charles wrote to Napoleon advocating for a war of extermination, declaring that he must destroy all blacks, men and women, and spare only children under 12 years of age. While waiting for the emperor's answer, he went ahead and massacred 1,000 black soldiers under his command by tying sacks of flour to their necks and pushing them off the sides of ships. But then fate stepped in to save the rest of the black people of Saint-Domingue. After less than a year on the island, Charles died of yellow fever. Two years later, Haiti won its independence from France. Pauline took her son and her husband's corpse back to France. She was now a very wealthy woman, and rumor had it that she had been extracting gold and jewels from the people of the island, and had smuggled them back in her husband's coffin. But in reality, she inherited the money from Charles. She bought herself a mansion in Paris, but resented the period of mourning required of her and was eager to re-enter the social scene. 
Napoleon was eager to remarry her to his own advantage. He selected for her groom Camilo Borghese, Prince of Sulmona, in the hopes that their union would calm aggression in Italy. Neither bride nor groom were enthusiastic, and they had to be paid to agree to the engagement. Camilo got a dowry of 500,000 francs and Pauline 300,000 francs worth of jewelry and the use of the Borghese family diamonds. Decency demanded that the couple wait to wed until after the one-year anniversary of Charles's death in November. But Pauline was eager to be a princess and get her hands on the bling, so they wed in August without Napoleon's knowledge, pissing him off. Pauline was thrilled to move to Rome and again have a prominent position next to a powerful man. But she soon grew to hate her husband. Her son, Dermide, always a frail child, died at the age of six after a violent fever. Napoleon created Pauline, sovereign princess and duchess of Guastalla, but she sold the duchy to Parma for 6 million francs and kept only the title. She fell out of favor with Napoleon for her hostility towards his second wife, Empress Marie-Louise. But when the emperor was defeated, Pauline proved to be the most loyal of his siblings. She liquidated all her assets, moved to Elba, and used the money to better Napoleon's living condition. She sold her home in Paris, Hôtel du Charot, to the British. It was used by the Duke of Wellington and remains the home of the British ambassador to this day. After Napoleon's final fall, Pauline moved to Rome with her mother and siblings. She purchased a villa, named it after herself, and decorated it in the Egyptian style she favored. Her estranged husband visited her only once, months before her death from pulmonary tuberculosis at the age of 44. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Caroline, the youngest daughter in the family, was born in 1782. She was educated at a convent school at the same time as her step-niece and future sister-in-law, Hortense du Boronnet. She fell in love with Joachim Mura, one of her brother's generals, when she was 17 and he 33. Napoleon, by this time first consul and making dramatic plans for his family, was against the match, but Josephine persuaded him to let Caroline follow her heart. 
the couple had four children together. In 1806, Napoleon appointed them Grand Duke and Duchess of Berg and Cleves in modern-day Germany. Then he moved their older brother Joseph from the throne of Naples to the throne of Spain and gave Naples to Caroline and Joachim. They became joint queen and king in 1808. Caroline renovated the palace, patronized artists and silk weavers, popularized furniture of classical design, went on archaeological digs at Pompeii, and founded a school for girls. She was intensely jealous of her sister-in-law, Josephine, and accused her brother of favoring her family over the Bonapartes. She introduced him to Eleonore du Nouel and encouraged him to take her as his mistress. Eleonore gave birth to Napoleon's first illegitimate child, Charles Count Lyon, thus proving that Napoleon was capable of fathering children and that Josephine was infertile. This rift in the imperial marriage eventually ended in divorce. When Napoleon took a second political wife, 18-year-old Marie-Louise of Austria, Caroline was sent to escort her to France. At the border, she forced the princess to leave all her possessions, servants, and even her pet dog behind, as had long been customary for French royal brides. Caroline was devoted to her husband and to Naples. She was regent four times while Joachim left to fight in Napoleon's foreign wars. The first two times he fought on his brother-in-law's side. But in 1814, Caroline and Joachim made the decision to side with the coalition army against Napoleon. Thus, when the emperor fell, they kept their own thrones. But when Napoleon escaped Elba and retook France, Joachim decided once more to support his brother-in-law. When Napoleon was defeated for good at Waterloo, Joachim was arrested by the coalition and executed by firing squad. Back in Naples and heartbroken, Caroline took her children and fled to Austria. There, she took the title Countess of Lepona, an anagram of Napoli. Once things settled down, she returned to Italy, taking up residence in Florence. She married Francisco MacDonald, her late husband's minister of war. Caroline died in 1839, age 57. Jerome, the youngest of the Bonaparte siblings, was born in 1784. His father died when he was just four months old. He was 15 years younger than Napoleon, and as his brother and the family's meteoric rise occurred when he was still very young, Jerome had little memory of the years they spent in poverty. He grew up spoiled and willful. He joined the French Navy, but the preferential treatment he received made him a poor officer. While serving in the Caribbean, he ordered his ship to fire on a friendly British vessel. The Brits went after him, and he escaped to the United States. There, the 19-year-old met 18-year-old Elizabeth Betsy Patterson, the daughter of a prosperous merchant. She was the belle of Baltimore society. She was particularly well-read and fond of Mary Wollstonecraft's A Vindication of the Rights of Women. 
they married on Christmas Eve 1803 and honeymooned in Washington, where the young bride's sleeveless and backless sheer white dress titillated and scandalized DC society. One lady recorded, the dress was so transparent that you could see the color and shape of her thighs and even more. But the newlyweds hadn't gotten the emperor's approval. He was furious as he had planned to use Jerome, just like his other siblings in politically advantageous marriages. He asked Pope Pius VII to annul the union, but the pontiff refused. Elizabeth was soon pregnant and the couple set sail for Europe in a ship furnished by her father. They landed in Portugal where they received word that Napoleon ordered Jerome to meet him in Italy, alone or be arrested. Jerome kissed his wife goodbye and promised to persuade his brother to accept their marriage. He sent Betsy hastily scribbled notes from the road, promising that they would be reunited soon. Meanwhile, Betsy received a letter from Napoleon offering to pay her an annual allowance if she would leave Europe now and stop using the name Bonaparte. She refused and sailed towards France, hoping that her child could be born on French soil. Napoleon had ordered all French ports to reject Betsy's ship. She was forced to land in England, where she gave birth to a son, Jerome Napoleon Bonaparte. Once Jerome had reached his brother, Napoleon easily won the argument over the marriage. He threatened to disinherit and court-martial Jerome if he didn't give Betsy up, and he caved. Jerome did send a box full of letters, presents, and cash to his wife and infant son, but they were stalled by lawyers and didn't reach her. She returned to Baltimore, heartbroken. Eventually, Jerome's boxes arrived and were followed by more letters, but as time wore on, the messages became shorter, and instead of signing off your loving husband, he wrote, J. Bonaparte. Sixteen months after their kiss goodbye, the letters stopped altogether. She received word that her marriage had been annulled by the French government and read in the newspapers that Napoleon had carved off a chunk of the Holy Roman Empire, called it Westphalia, and made obedient Jerome a king. He also ordered him to marry Princess Katharina of Württemberg, and the couple had three children. Jerome soon took a mistress who looked eerily similar to Betsy. He had no political acumen and spent boatloads of money renovating his palaces, building a theater, and commissioning stately portraits of himself. Napoleon intended Westphalia to be a model state for the rest of Central Europe, and it had the first constitution and parliament on German soil. But when he realized that Jerome was spending more money in his tiny kingdom than Napoleon was spending in all of France, he refused to support his brother financially. Jerome wrote to his ex-wife to request that she send their son, Jerome Napoleon, nicknamed Beau, to him, but she refused. She instead petitioned Napoleon to pay her child support, which he agreed. King Jerome was insulted, but Betsy wrote to him, I would rather be sheltered under the wings of an eagle than dangled from the beak of a goose. 
teenage Beau did eventually visit his father, but he was disgusted by his lavishly spending money he didn't have. He was happy to return to the U.S., where he felt he had better opportunities than as the son of a king. In 1812, Napoleon ordered Jerome to march his army east in support of his invasion of Russia. The king insisted on marching in state with his entire court and cartloads full of furniture, silver, and other luxurious trappings. The old soldier was disgusted, and the siblings argued. Jerome returned home, and Napoleon suffered his most devastating defeat yet in frigid Russia. The following year, Jerome did put up a serious fight to defend Westphalia from Russian and Prussian invasion, but Napoleon declined to send him reinforcements. His capital was seized, and the kingdom of Westphalia was dissolved after just six years of existence. Jerome and his family returned to France. He was given a command at the Battle of Waterloo, at which Napoleon was defeated once and for all. After the emperor's fall, Jerome took his family to Italy. His father-in-law, King Frederick I of Württemberg, granted him the title Prince of Montfort. While visiting a gallery in Florence, he spotted Betsy, who was finally enjoying a grand tour of Europe. Jerome, now in his 40s, was tired and out of shape. They didn't speak a word to each other, but Jerome whispered to his wife that the still stunningly beautiful woman over there was his American wife. Katharina died at 52, and Jerome remarried Justina Pecori Suarez, 27 years his junior. Jerome was the only Bonaparte sibling to live to see the Bonaparte restoration. His nephew, Emperor Napoleon III, recognized Jerome as his heir presumptive until the birth of his own son, Napoleon Eugène. Jerome died in 1860, age 75. His American grandson, Charles Joseph Bonaparte, served as U.S. Attorney General under President Theodore Roosevelt. In 1908, he founded what would later become the Federal Bureau of Investigation, or FBI. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. I'll be putting out new episodes every Tuesday, revisiting and revamping my most popular YouTube videos, unburying some of my favorite hidden gems, and adding even more fascinating information for your listening pleasure. Want some visuals with your history? Then check out my YouTube channel, History Tea Time with Lindsay Holiday, where you can find hundreds of videos about queens of the world, royal history, women's history, and more. You can also follow History Tea Time on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to other great shows like Queen's Podcast, Ancient History Fangirl, Redacted History, and more. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? 
Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 